Welcome to Pipeline Church, where saved people serve people, found people find people, and growing people change. We're here to introduce people to Jesus and help them become fully committed followers of Christ by doing life together, being irrationally generous, and being the church that the world desperately needs us to be. Welcome home. Hey, well, it is great to have you at Pipeline Church this morning. That is an awesome group of kids that we have moving into high school. Uh, we did a little research, and you might have been wondering, like, we, we already have youth director. Why do we need youth pastor? Um, we had to add to our team, honestly, because when we did the math on it, we figured out that we're going to have about 100 kids, if we add none, 100 kids moving from elementary school to junior high and high school over the next year. So we thought, we better get prepared. So uh, if you see Robert around, give him a high five. We're going to introduce them in a couple weeks, and it is going to be uh, an exciting summer getting them acclimated to Pipeline Church. So it's great to be here. Uh, there's lots going on. You'll notice uh, our series, Say What, is continuing, um, and this is actually the last one. Oh, I know. Now, I think in series, you guys think on, uh, like, whatever you attend, like, oh, wow, that's new. Um, this is actually the sixth sermon in this series, and if you haven't had a chance to catch each one of them leading up, uh, you can always go back online and check those out. We would love for you to check those out. It's not because you need to hear me more. It's not because I've got any extra fancy words that you couldn't read in the Bible. It's just that it's laid out in a very specific way that we've been walking through just to try and understand what it looks Look like uh, for people to begin to process what Jesus had said during his time on earth. And, and so here's the premise of this whole series that we've been doing. While Jesus was walking around teaching, preaching, healing people, uh, working with the disciples, both the small group of them and the larger group of them, he said a lot of controversial and crazy things, things that were completely out of bounds for what the world knew at that point, for completely out of bounds for what they understood to be true, both in Judaism and all of the pagan religions that existed. And so as they went about making it happen, our junior hires are leaving, by the way. You can give them a hand right now. So I'm watching, I'm thinking just there's a bunch of kids really ticked off at me at the moment. Um, but as, as they uh, began to hear what he was saying, people were trying to adjust their minds and, and, and wrap their heads around his big concepts. And then Jesus gets killed. Messes everything up. Right? All these things that he had said, everybody's like, we're in, we're in, we're in. And all of a sudden he gets killed in front of them, like dead, like no more breath, like dying, gone. And they watch it. And literally everybody unfollows that day. Click, no more. I don't want to see your feed. And, and, and then something takes place and we got, we know, we've seen that, we've read this story, we, we celebrate Easter. Three days later, he rises again from the dead. And then he appears to his disciples and before his ascension into heaven and he gives them some last instructions and they go. And ever since that point, Everybody's been trying to figure out, okay, what exactly did he say? I don't know if you've watched this series, uh, the, the shows that have been created, The Chosen. If you haven't, you should download the app and watch all the shows because it's absolutely phenomenal and they put it together really well. There's one part where James and John, the disciples, are talking. And they're just normal, average, everyday guys. 
And the, the, the line in the show goes, hey, if I'm going to be honest, I don't really understand anything he's saying. To which John responds to his brother James and says, me too. And he says, I, I have a feeling that we're probably going to spend the rest of our lives figuring it out and understanding what he's telling us right now. So let's listen close. And that was the thought. In each of these messages, I've been giving you a segment of Jesus' teaching and then looking into the New Testament a little bit further to see how the New Testament writers, whether it was Paul, John, Peter, uh, any other of the Beatles that wrote Bible books, right? Some of you are like, man, you're not cool. But um, any of those who wrote the New Testament books, how they began to flesh that out so that the church, the early church and the church today could understand what he was talking about. And today is very similar. I'm going to take a little bit different approach, but, but let's picture this as we get started. Go to the Old Testament. There's a story of a king, a king who's been chosen for a nation, and they've never had a king before. But the people cried out. They needed a king. They wanted a king. And so God chose for them a king, and he was a big guy. He was strong. He was a warrior. He was a head taller than everybody else. It said he literally stood head and shoulders above everyone else. And he had been chosen. And, and as his life goes on, he's having success. He's gathering the people around and, and God is blessing him and pouring out his spirit to, to prepare the way for him. And he has a son, son's named Jonathan. And as Jonathan's coming up and growing, all of a sudden there's a, another name that appears in the story, David. And if you went to Sunday school, you're like, oh, I know that guy. I know, I know who that is. You know, David and Goliath, I got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But David and Jonathan became really good friends. They became best friends, in fact. And as they started doing life together, David actually kind of moved into the palace with the king and his family. And they would go hunting together. And they would go and do things, and they would eat meals together, and they would talk, and they would learn together and grow together, and they developed a, a brotherhood between the two of them. And one day they went out to battle, and as would be common, Saul led the army into battle as God has directed. Saul's the dad, the king, and he goes out, and all of a sudden he notices from one of the flanks, the army starts to surge and he notices that this part of the army is just kicking butt and taking names. I mean, they are just going through and they are just annihilating the enemy. And some of you are like, oh, the Bible's really bloody. Yes, it is. That's just how it was. And, and, he, and he notices and he's like, what is happening over here? And he sees David, his son's best friend out at the front and he is just tearing it up and he notices that there's a group of men gathered around them and everywhere they go they're just conquering and so Saul with exaggerated passion he goes in and Jonathan goes in and they just take out the army that they have been sent to defeat they're coming back into town as would be custom and Saul is riding on his white horse that he would come in symbolizing victory. And as he's riding into town, all of the ladies, which you ladies know that all men just want you to notice them, all right? 
they began to cry out, Saul has killed his thousands upon thousands. And he began like cheering, yes, thank you, thank you. You've noticed, right? But then there was something else, and he couldn't figure out what it was. It was an echo from the crowd. And he began to decipher what it was. And it wasn't, let's go, Brandon. It was. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought of crowds and trying to decipher what they're saying. It was, this is not political, all right? It was this, that David has killed his tens of thousands. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed tens of thousands. And all of a sudden, Saul, who was coming in victorious, went dark. And from that day forward, there was a mark in the, the relationship. You know the way that it goes. Sometimes you're walking down the hall and somebody's ticked you off and they're like, how are you doing? And fine. <laughs> right? You having a good day? I don't know. Are you having a good day? Screwed up my life, thank you very much, right? All of a sudden, it's those small things along the way, and he begins to hear, oh, did you hear David did this? Oh, did you hear David did this? And, and all of a sudden, he's like, did David make our dinner? Right? And all of a sudden, he begins to grow uh, this passion against someone he considered a son. The story goes on. I'm not going to give you the full thing. But one night when they're at dinner... It says the rage took heart, hold of his heart so much so that he actually picked up a spear and threw it at David's head across the table. Now, I've heard of bad family meals and disagreements. I've heard of like somebody throwing a roll across the table. I've even heard of a fork being tossed across the table, but I've never heard of a spear being chucked at somebody's head. And from that point on, Saul was chasing David trying to kill him. And he never made amends with David. David spared his life twice. Had an opportunity to kill him and he didn't. And he said, Saul, I love you and I honor you. You're my king in trying to make amends and he could never get it right. And finally, Saul, he actually dies on the field of battle where he takes his own life because he's about to be overtaken in a battle that they never had to lose. In fact, if he had had David and his army with him, they probably would have won. But because of the anger and the lack of forgiveness in his heart, Saul could not get over it, and it cost him everything. His future, his line of generations who were to be king, received nothing. Why? Because he couldn't let it go. So this is where we are. We look into the New Testament and we see Paul writing extensively about forgiveness and our necessary forgiveness in order for us to live the life that we've been called to. Uh, we, we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, it says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And all of us said, hmm, that's nice. Those are the verses we like to hear. Those are the things we like to see. They're like, love one another, care for one another. And we're like, hmm, that sounds so good. While we're sitting here, until we get out and somebody cuts in front of us at the Cane's drive-thru. I need my chicken now, right? 
What about this out of Colossians chapter three, verse 12 through 13, and all these are in your notes that are on our app and our website. It says this, since God chose you to be holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves in tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Again, sounds great. Clothe yourself in all of these things. And I'm just going to say, if you don't see, and you can use this around your dinner table with your family, if you don't see tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience in your life, you're walking around naked, all right? Put on the clothes of righteousness, he says. Again, Paul just trying to reiterate to people, this is what Jesus taught us. In the book of Romans, he wrote this letter to the Roman church, and he said, I know you're really smart people, but I need you to understand this. Make allowances. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. I don't know about that. Leave that to the righteous anger of God, for the scriptures say, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you'll heap burning coals of shame on their heads, because you were the bigger person, because you chose my way, versus what would naturally come. And he says this at the very end, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Okay, that's it. Have a great day. Go ye therefore and prosper. In these verses, Paul emphasized the importance of forgiveness, urging believers to forgive one another as Christ forgave them. You can see it. He's talking about kindness and love and all of the things that we think of when we think of the church. People who don't go to church, they expect this of us. And when we don't have these attributes, they say, oh, you're just like me. I don't have to do anything different. I remember... I don't remember. I like, I talk to people all the time. This is something that I do on a regular basis. And I talk to people and they'll say, Hey, you know, I love the idea of church. I love the concept of church, but church people are no different than me. So I think I'm good. And I'd like to just take my Sundays and do what I do. Ugh. Where have we failed? Jesus spoke extensively about forgiveness during his teachings. Let me just give you a little bit from the Sermon on the Mount, and that's chapters five through eight of uh, the book of uh, Matthew. You'll find it in there. It says, so if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, and then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, I, I kind of like to you guys ever do some um, creative Bible reading where you kind of make up what you think it's saying? I like to think of it like that. I like to read this. If you're there and you remember that you have something against somebody, then you should go and make it right. But what does it say? 
if you think someone has something against you. That stinks. I would rather say, well, that's their problem, not mine. You know when you apologize to somebody and you say, I'm sorry if I offended you or if you feel like I did something wrong, and then you follow it with the giant butt, right? And we don't like big butts, all right? And you follow it by saying, but I didn't intend to do that. That's your problem. You're so broken. You shouldn't see it that way. And people go, I think that was an apology, but I don't really think that came out as an apology. What about this, what Jesus said? If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you, if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Dang. That seems a little harsh. Like, you mean my forgiveness is based on the measure that I'm going to measure out to other people? Because I don't think that's right. Jesus died on the cross for me too, okay? I'm a sinner, saved by grace, just like everybody else. I can hold grudges. I'm sorry. He died for that. But he says, no, I want you to understand you're missing out on the big picture here. If you don't start forgiving the people in your life, you're not going to receive the blessing of forgiveness either. Whew. Okay, I'm trying to get away from what Jesus said because this is really painful. But here's what he said in Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. Problem is, he's trying to help us understand we're all on a level playing field. You guys know, like I've said this before, I'm a professional Christian. This is what I do. Like I have no other skills and no other job. All right, if somebody needs their car fixed, don't call me. I'll get you somebody. I I can point you in the right direction. If you need something built, I got a guy, but it's not me, right? And here's the thing. When I see this, I'm so challenged. Because sometimes in my role, I've been a Christian as long as I can remember. I've been in church as long as I can remember. And sometimes I look at the way that people live and I go, oh, poor you. And somehow in my mind, I elevate myself above them. And God says, that's not what you're supposed to do. I need you to look at them as if you're looking them in the eye. You are no better than them. And I'm going to put you on the same playing field. Hey, y'all, we don't judge other people because the same measure is being judged out on us. And when I say judgment, it's that idea that I'm better than you. You better get your poop together. We've got to play on a level playing field. So I did some research. I like psychology and all of that kind of stuff. And so I thought, okay, so, so let's talk about what unforgiveness does in our hearts. Because you know what we like to do? Is we like just a little bit. Like, I know I'm supposed to give, forgive everybody, but that person, I'm sure God would be okay if I just kind of stuck that in my pocket. They, they, just a little bit should be okay. I know I'm supposed to let people go and let them off the hook and not do the things that I really want to do uh, with and to them and around them, but, but I know God would understand if it was just that, I can just hold that there. He doesn't have to look at it. It's okay. But that's not it. See, unforgiveness creates an emotional storm. I don't know if you're aware of this, but there's something that actually physically takes place 
when you hold a garage or you don't let people off the hook or you choose not to forgive them. You create an emotional storm in your own heart. And guess what? It's always going to surface things that you never thought existed in your life. Feelings of stress, anxiety, depression, insecurity, fear. Guess what? None of those did anything to the person you need to forgive. Who did they affect? You. Most of us in America today carry an unhealthy amount of stress, anxiety, depression, insecurity, feelings of stress and fear in our lives. Why? Because somehow there's this emotional storm that's brewing in our hearts. And God's saying, let me just get back to the basics. Part of it is because you're elevating yourself and others in ways that they were never meant to be. You are all my children. Walk together. Don't try to pick who's better. Just in a little aside, you realize the only argument that keeps cropping up in the text of Scripture among the disciples? Well, let's even say this. The only question that keeps coming up amongst the disciples as they're following Jesus, it wasn't, Jesus, tell us how to be the best we can be. Tell us how to read our Bibles better. Tell us how, no, they come completely and repeatedly kept asking Jesus, which one of us will be greatest? And we do that the same. And there's an emotional storm that takes place under the cover. Let's just think about this one too. Unforgiveness creates a hardened heart. Not just toward the other person, but toward people in general. Feelings of anger, resentment, bitterness, hatred, You know when you hear something and somebody's burned you enough times and you look at them or you hear them say something, you're like, yeah, I'm sure that's going to happen, right? A hardened heart. For most of us, if we've lived life for very long, we've been burned enough times to know when something's true or something's not, when somebody's overselling themselves or they're all in. And here's what happens to us, in us, and through us, is we run into a very bad situation when our hearts, which are supposed to be soft and open and welcoming and loving and caring and kind and all those things that are listed as we put on the clothes of God of righteousness... And we begin to harden ourselves so that no one can hurt us again. A hardened heart never wins. Well, they're not going to do that to me again. (laughs) Oh, really? Like, is that really what we're supposed to do? In fact, when I read scripture, I think the goal is that we set ourselves up to be hurt as often as possible, and we run to the Father for healing and redemption every possible day so that he can keep filling us up so that we can be broken and poured out for the world around us and then run back to the Father and be filled up again so that we can be broken and poured out, not so that we can wear armor and defend the faith. That's not what he says. Humble yourself. Unforgiveness takes up a lot of mental space. I don't know if you're aware of that. I think it's uh, some of our modern day singers, even Taylor, the Swift. 
which I heard the other night, there's a guy that paid $21,000 to take his daughter to Taylor Swift concert because he actually bought fake tickets online. You don't need to go to any concert that bad. I'm just going to tell you. All right? Sing along with the albums. It's great. All right? At high volume in your truck, maybe crying sometimes. All right? That's all right. So, so here's the idea, though. Unforgiveness takes up a lot of mental space, and it's been quoted before that someone is living rent-free in your mind when you don't forgive them. Every time you look at that picture, you don't unfollow them on social media. No, you just keep watching their life happen, getting more frustrated, more angry, more bothered. Well, why don't they feel the way I feel? More upset. Let them go, y'all. And and here's what happens. This mental space, like an old movie reel, we analyze each and every clip and, and we begin to rehearse the injustice that was done, the things that were done. And it takes up more of our mental capacity and our mind and our health. Unforgiveness will affect your physical health too. Actual doctors have done research, all right? So this is medical facts and research They say uh, unforgiveness contributes to high blood pressure, a weakened immune system, reduced sleep, chronic pain, and cardiovascular problems. In fact, because unforgiveness hinders the body's ability to heal, forgiveness exercises are now being included in cancer treatment for cancer patients. If you got anybody that you know that you're holding a grudge against, then go and forgive them. Let them go. And let's see what it does to your body. What about, what about this? When we hold people captive and we sit on those things and we start to digest them. I don't know if you know we live in the valley where lots of cows exist. I think the number is that cows outnumber people eight to one in the valley. Praise God, and those who are trapping the methane are doing a good work. But there's a thing that they, uh, they are known as, cows are uh, ruminating animals, and some of my dairy farmers said amen, and we would ask each other, how's your rumen health? You know, you want to make sure rumen is good, because a cow has a big stomach, and it's got four chambers, and it takes time for the food to get digested in each of the chambers and go through, and every once in a while, they spit it up, and they chew it up, and they put it back down again, and some of you almost threw up right then. But they get every ounce of nutrition that they can out of what they've been fed. we got nutritionists that can tell you there's good things you can do with that. And here's what I'm here to tell you is some of us act like cows with things that people have done to us and we take it in and we digest it and we replay the picture in our mind and we replay that story and then we start to fill in the blanks of, well, that's probably what they meant and that's probably why they did it and that's probably how we got here and I'm sure they didn't do that. And then did you see they put it in all caps when they text that? And all of a sudden, we're ruminating on painful things and we won't let people go and it destroys us from the inside out. Pain comes along with and becomes the identity of the unforgiving person. A person who will not forgive is eventually ruled by pain and an endless cycle of resentment and retaliation. 
Nelson Mandela was quoted as saying this, hating someone is drinking poison and expecting the other person to die from it. Now, what I don't care what you think about his politics or anything like that, that was a good quote. The idea is that often, instead of choosing forgiveness, we drink the poison of unforgiveness and we wonder what happened to us. The pain becomes an endless cycle of resentment and retaliation. So Jeff, what are we supposed to do about this? There's a section of scripture that I'm gonna take you to and it's one section that Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 18. He says, if somebody does you wrong, this is what you're supposed to do, you ready? He says, now if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. And if the person listens and confesses it, you want them back. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. Oh, okay. And he says, and if that person refuses to listen, then take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, Treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So when people typically come and they talk to me, Pastor Jeff, I just got to tell you some things that are going on. I was noticing on this person's feed, they're doing this and they're doing that and their kids are doing this. And I would say, have you talked to them about that? Well, no, that would make it awkward. Then I would go back to Matthew 18 and say, you have no business talking to me about it until you've talked to them about it. That's how we maintain the unity of the church. So if you ever come to me and you want out somebody for something that they've done, people do gross things all the time. I know. And if you want to come and make sure they get it right, make sure you've done what it says here before you bring it to somebody else. Some painful things have happened, even in Pipevine Church, where people have decided, you know, I didn't like that, what Pastor Jeff did. I really didn't like that. I didn't appreciate that. And they decided, hey, instead of talking to Jeff about it, <laughs> I'm just going to go and I'm going to get like four or five people and we're going to talk about it and have coffee about it and make sure that we are all in agreement and if we're all in agreement then we can go ahead and blindside the pastor or his team or his leaders or his people around at which point I have to look at him and say well why didn't you talk to me about this originally why didn't we follow Matthew 18 you're a person in leadership you're a person that I respect and now my respect for you and your leadership has been compromised we don't function outside of the text of Scripture. This is what we do. And so Paul and Jesus and every single one of the New Testament believers was called to say, hey, this is what it's supposed to look like. And Jesus was giving clear answers. And here's the thing, and you'll hear it from the book of John and first and second, third John. He says it over and over and over. It's about being in the light and healing happens when we bring sin into the light. That's where it happens. We cannot find healing while we're festering the issues below the surface. You sweep something under the rung long enough, you're going to eventually trip over it. That's what it looks like. I started thinking, okay, so how do we do this? Where do we go? 
It's not like you can just give that pat answer like, okay, I forgive you. Thank you so much. Thanks for, you know what? I'm going to let it go. Sometimes people have hurt you really, really, really bad. Sometimes there's been some things done that you can't go back on. Sometimes, I'm just going to be real, some, some people are really toxic people. So what do you do with those? How, how do you develop that relationship? Where do you go with that? I started thinking about it, and I was going to do this a little bit different way, but I'm running out of time. So I got this thing. We're going to do a circumcision right now. Um, so if you don't know what that is, it's okay. Just let it pass. All right. I, I got this from a, a missionary to Ecuador and it is really sharp. Like it's the real deal right here. And it's shiny and flashy and all this kind of stuff. And, and here's typically what it looks like when we're dealing with toxic people. Um, you're dealing with a toxic person. Typically, toxic people are blindfolded. They can't see. They're just lashing out at everyone. So what if I just close my eyes, right? And then toxic people, they're just really like this, right? See, now the problem is, as the church, we've told people, you know what? You just got to love them. You got to care for them. You got to hug everyone in the name of Jesus, now, here's the problem. If I invited one of you up here and I start with eyes closed doing this and tell you, now hug me, what's going to happen? You're going to get cut up like it's going to be mad nasty. You might be a big buff guy like Andrew, but, but you can't hang out with that, right? You're going to die. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Why? Because toxic people are typically hurting so bad that they hurt everybody around them. And so you wonder, like, okay, so what are we supposed to do? Because I think the Bible says i got to give everybody a hug, and if I can't hug them, I'll just give my life for the cause. We sacrifice our mental well-being, our health, our livelihoods, our family, all for people who are just hacking away, hoping that somebody comes in the path to make them feel better. The more that they can hit, the better it'll feel. Have you ever tried to greet somebody, like, during covid right? How do we greet people? What's up? Right? Volleyball teams used to go under the net and they would high five each other. Now they stand on the other side and they like wave. It's the weirdest thing. But there is something called a boundary that is okay for you. If you notice that somebody is wielding a machete, don't give them a hug. It's okay. Just say, I love you from over here. I care for you deeply. Let us know when you need some help. When they finally put the machete down, give them a high five. Don't go in for the hug. <laughs> but it's about creating boundaries and space so that you can do that in a healthy and helpful way. But you don't have to sacrifice your life on the altar of someone else's pain. And here's what Jesus went back to. Right after Jesus says, here's how you deal with the problems that people create. He says, Peter came to him and asked, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus' response, you've heard it before probably, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, you'll never stop. There's never an end. Because of what you've seen and what you know, there's never an end to my forgiveness as well. 
Let me just tell you this. This is the last fill-in for this morning, I think. Pride makes me think that I can put limits on my forgiveness. Just one more time, right? We tell our kids, you do that one more time and I'm going to burn all your toys in the front yard, right? One more time and you're going to go to school naked for the next week, right? That would never fly in the school district, by the way. One more time. That's the way we set it up because we set ourselves above. So we tell people, you give me one more time and you're off the Christmas card list, never to be seen again. One more time. And Jesus said, I don't do that to you. I don't think that's what you're supposed to do to everybody else. Put your machete away. Stop looking for your pound of flesh. Let me take care of it. Story goes like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring into his, all of his counts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. And in the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife and children and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it. Then his master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Oh, happy day. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me. I'll pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be repaid in full. And when some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and they told him everything that had happened. And the king called the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And that's why my heavenly father, what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. It's not a short story. <laughs> that was Jesus trying in his best capacity to give us a picture of what it looks like in the kingdom of heaven and what you've been forgiven for. So I did have one more fill in. And this is a prayer that I think we all need to join in. It's this. Today, I choose to forgive because I have been forgiven. Honestly, y'all, forgiveness stinks. It's hard. It's not just hard for the person asking forgiveness because that's humiliating. I know I did something wrong, but it's hard for the person giving forgiveness because we have to come off of our high horse and get down and look somebody in the eye and say, I deserve the right to hold you penalty. I deserve the right. I deserve the opportunity to tell you suck and you're terrible and you're awful and you're no good and you owe me. But forgiveness says all accounts are washed clean. I choose to forgive you. And there's going to be days when that ugly little thing inside me creeps up and I don't want to forgive you. But I'm going to choose again and again and again and again to let it go. And to let God 
be in charge. Y'all, if you want to look like the church that the world needs and expects us to be, this is the key. You cannot live with unforgiveness and call yourself a follower of Christ. But I do, but I give, but I try, but I'm working, but I need, but I... He says, let yourself off the hook. Let me be God. And let everyone else that you're holding in accountable for your life and your pain and your tragedies, let them go. I'll take care of the rest. And that's the word of God for his church. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, we come before you today and I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your justice. I thank you for your righteousness. I thank you for your holiness. I thank you for all that you give us and that you clothe us in righteousness when we come before you and we surrender to you and we give you our lives. Oh, but this is a hard one. I have such a hard time forgiving. So God, would you help us through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit at work in us from salvation to learn how to forgive, to learn how to let people off the hook, to learn how to set proper boundaries while not hating people, but loving them from a distance, and how to call on you as Lord and King and not ourselves, as if we are the ones that are supposed to pass and give judgment. Your kingdom come, your will be done. With every head bowed and every eye closed, This morning, I also want to tell you, if you are here today and you believe this and you hear this and you receive this and that you have not received the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can try all you want, but unless the Holy Spirit empowers you through the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive, you will never be able to accomplish it. So if you would like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior today, For the first time or coming home again, would you pray this prayer with me? God, I need you to be my one God. Nothing else before you, beside you, behind you, or around you. You are the ultimate authority. You are sovereign, God. And in comparison to you and everything else, I am disgusting and sinful and painful and gross, and I need a Savior. I ask, would you forgive me of my sins because I know I've fallen short. I know I haven't hit the mark. Would you cover me in the blood of Jesus Christ? I receive Jesus Christ who died for my sins and was risen again to break the power of sin and death and hell. I receive him as my Lord and Savior today. And I ask, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you give me the ability to live this out every single day of my life from this day forward? We proclaim you are good and your mercy endures forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more Pipeline Church content, visit pipeline.church or download the Pipeline Church mobile app. If you like what you heard today, make sure to subscribe and share. Pipeline Church podcast is available wherever you love to listen.